How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the show. We're keeping it real goes right. Welcome back to Real Take Sports Talk live here on YouTube and on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to this wonderful show today. We have a great show planned for you. We're going to be talking about the NFL. We're going to be talking about the NBA and some of the biggest news that has happened this week there with Draymond Green very abruptly and 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 frankly punching his teammate Jordan Poole in the face. We have the video for that and we'll show that later on in the show and talk about it later on. And we're talking going to talk about the Denver Broncos, the in, the Indianapolis Colts, one of the worst football games anyone has ever seen. Also going to be talking about the World Cup, Messi's final World Cup. We'll cover that much much more here on the show. And if you're watching live, be sure to hit that like button. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave a five-star review and all of that. One of the first things I want to do, I do want to mention before we get started with the proper show is I realized that in the past, we haven't done a lot of these, or as of late, I should say, we have not done a lot of these Real Take Sports Talks. This is Real Take Sports Talk number 79, by the way. But I realize we have not done as many. Well, I've made it a Q4. Yes, I'm corporate now. So a Q4 prerogative, a Q4 priority, a Q4 initiative to make sure that does not happen and this show does not get left by the wayside. We, of course, do our streams. We, of course, do the watch-alongs. We, of course, do the breaking news. But Real Take Sports Talk is my bread and butter. This is my baby. This is the one. This is the original thing, the podcast that, like, 20 people a week used to listen to on the um, on, on just an audio, it's just an audio platform. And now we've grown and... I want this show specifically to grow with it, whether it means that we don't get enough uh, or we don't get that many people tuning in live, whether it means that we're going to have to try a few different things, sure, but this format, this show, this, my baby, is not is not going to change and not going to go away, hopefully, anytime soon, so we're going to try to stay the course. If we miss a week or two, it'd be like that, but we're going to try our darndest, especially during the NFL season. Speaking of the NFL, a great segue by yours truly. Let's talk about the NFL and let's talk more specifically about the Denver Broncos, a team that as of late has been underwhelming people to say the least. Anyway, we'll we'll get to it. We'll we'll get to these Broncos because it, it's just it's a shame because this is what happens when you have a team that everyone believes in, that everyone has always said is a quarterback away from, from becoming a contender. This is what happens. So let's go into it. Going into the 2022 NFL season, nearly everybody had the Denver Broncos pegged as one of the top seeds, one of the top teams in the AFC with nearly everybody else also including yours truly, crowning them as title contenders. Now, some five weeks into the season, all of that has seemingly changed. And instead of us talking about how great the Denver Broncos are with their newly acquired quarterback in Russell Wilson, we're instead talking about what the hell's going on in Denver. We're talking about Russell Wilson, 
who right now at, at this point in his career looks to be a shell of his former self. We're talking about head coach Nathaniel Hackett, who looks to be lost in all of this. He just doesn't know what he's doing. And the Denver Broncos, a team that for years was thought to be a quarterback away from competing, sitting at 2-3 and three to begin the season and coming off of a Thursday night 12-9 to nine loss to the Indianapolis Colts in one of the most pitiful primetime football games we've ever seen. Question remains, what is wrong with the Denver Broncos? And if we just break it down to two things, I, I do think there's two big glaring issues with this football team right now. The number one glaring issue is the head coach. And this is not me right now saying whether or not Nathaniel Hackett needs to get fired. This is just me saying that Nathaniel Hackett is in over his head. And for all this talk about a guy who was the Aaron Rodgers whisperer, we, we've heard that, right? We heard it with Philbin. We heard it with, with a few people. We heard it with McCarthy that this guy is Aaron Rodgers whisperer. This guy's a Peyton Manning, Adam Gase. We heard it with Peyton Manning whisperer in Denver with Adam Gase. That's how he got two head coaching jobs. And we heard the same thing with Nathaniel Hackett, that he was he was one of the main reasons that offense last year was so so powerful and so productive. It had nothing to do with, you know, Devontae Adams. It had nothing to do with Aaron Rodgers. It had everything to do with Nathaniel Hackett. And that's why he got the Denver job. So you have a head coach who, at this point in time, looks to be in over his head. You have a quarterback in Russell Wilson who is not playing well, especially considering Russell Wilson's stand. This is a guy in Russell Wilson who I believe had like three MVP caliber years where people were saying, like, I mean, the 2019 year like was Russell's year to win the MVP if there ever was one. But then Lamar Jackson went out there, led the league in touchdowns, had over 1,000 yards rushing, led the league in in in, in interception and touchdown ratio, and then he just blew everyone out of the water. So, of course, it didn't happen that year, but there were many years where Russell Wilson had, like, 35-plus touchdowns to about, like, 10 or under 10 interceptions. And this year, they're 2-3. and three. He's not even completing 60% of his passes, and it just it, the offense itself looks anemic, and it is anemic. This is an offense that is that was outplayed by Geno Smith in 2022. And granted, Geno Smith in 2022 isn't playing bad uh, uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But for a guy in Russell Wilson who they paid a boatload of money and that boatload of draft picks, they gave up no offense. They gave up two first-round draft picks in order to get Russell Wilson. And it was supposed to be as easy as plug-and-play. For years, everyone's been saying that we have a great defense, we need a quarterback, and we need the franchise quarterback, I should say, to make all of our young receivers and our young weapons look even better. Because, look, we're finishing like 7-9, and 8-8 eight and eight with, with Trevor Simeon and, and the Drew Locks of the world at quarterback and the Teddy Bridgewaters of the world at quarterback. Think about where we'd be if we had a quarterback. And... We put Russell Wilson in there. Everyone, including myself, thought that it was going to be a win-win situation for everybody. And yet, we're sitting here talking about how terrible this team looks. Not on paper, but on the field. And Russell Wilson's play cannot be exonerated. There is no way 
No way Russell Wilson should be completing less than 60% of his passes. And I'll also say this. There is no way Russell Wilson should be holding on to the ball as long as he is. He has, like, one of the longest, like, hold, like holding on to the ball times in the in the NFL. Like, like he, 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 he has that right now, and it's... Begs the begs the question why he's being sacked so many times. He's been sacked 16 times five weeks in, which is a lot. So, I mean, the offensive line could do better, but Russell Wilson could also just make quicker decisions. And we saw it at the end of that Denver game. The end of that Denver game, fourth and one, they spread it out a little bit. They have a running back with Russell Wilson in the shotgun. And Russell Wilson had a guy open to his right. Grant, he probably didn't see him because... I would expect Russell Wilson to complete that pass had he seen him, but it didn't look like he did. And we get some hesitation and a sidearm throw down the middle that Stephon Gilmore deflected. The Denver Broncos aren't only off to a terrible start. They're in terrible trouble. You're in a division where you have the Kansas City Chiefs, who right now look to be running away with the AFC West. You have the Los Angeles Chargers who are looking to make a name for themselves as far as being contenders in the playoffs because Justin Herbert has played great. And that offense has looked great at times, but they haven't been able to put it together and have a playoff season as of yet. They got very close last year, but they have not gotten over the hill. And that's a team that everyone has their eye on. That's a team that we all expect to be there come the pl- come time for the playoffs. And then you have the Raiders who were in the playoffs last year and who offensively got better. Got they got better by adding Devontae Adams and having that guy who Russell who, who sorry Derek Carr used to throw the ball to back in college. So they they they, they actually got better on offense defensively. They're they're not playing well and, and as far as a head coach, I mean look, Nathaniel Hackett has competition for being the most incompetent head coach in that division right now. Let's not get it twisted. But the Denver Broncos are in serious trouble. And if they don't make the adjustments, if they don't switch out that offensive line, if they don't focus on the running game or or, or just get this chemistry going with Russell, there's so much they need to do. Like this offense is garbage right now. It is garbage. At this point, you could have saved all the draft picks. You could have saved all the money, kept Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater around, and just done exactly what you're doing now. Because anemic offense? Turning the ball over at critical junctures? Incompetency at head coach? What? Tell me, what's the difference between the Denver Broncos now than it was last year? Genuinely. Genuinely. Not... Potential-wise, is there because you got Russell Wilson. Like, I am not going to be one of these people who comes out and says, Russell Wilson is over the hill. I'm just not going to do it, right? Until, because we're five games in. We're five games in. Russell Wilson has shown throughout his career that he is one of the best quarterbacks of his generation. And I'm not going to say that a couple of few games, mean or a couple of bad games means that Russell Wilson has completely lost it. He's over the hill. He's done. I'm not going to go... And, and do the 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 Max Kellerman route and, and say that, oh, Tom Brady, he turned 40. He's over the hill. Russell Wilson, he's getting older, sure. But as far as over-the-hill quarterbacks, 
I don't think he's there yet. If we get to like the end of the season and Russell Wilson is still not completing 50% of his passes and Russell Wilson has more interceptions than touchdowns and the Denver Broncos stink still, we can start that discussion. But to say that he's over the hill five weeks in is an absurdity. This is a guy who two years ago, two years ago, Russell Wilson had 40 touchdowns. This is a guy who last year threw 25 touchdowns, six interceptions. A guy who has been in the MVP conversation for the better part of the last 10 years. Every single year. So if we're gonna if we're gonna talk about being over the hill, we have to have evidence, more than five games evidence at least, that he's over the hill. And plus, he's not as old as Matt Ryan, who's turning 38. He's not as old as, as Aaron Rodgers, who's turning 39. Russell Wilson relatively is in his prime, considering his age. Like, he is 33 years old. He's not that old. He's not as old as people want to make him out to be. So, again, understand the the question of has Russell Wilson maybe lost? And it's possible that he's lost a little bit of, of mojo. I, I, I definitely see that. I definitely see... The idea that maybe his teammates think he's a bit tiresome. I've made similar, I've made similar comments about Baker Mayfield in that I think that sometimes you, you, when you have a guy who's very raw, raw, who's very positive, who's very like Broncos country, rad, all that kind of stuff, who does the, who's a little corny, like like. It's not it's not wrong for me to say that Russell Wilson is corny, right? He's a bit corny. When he goes out there and he says, you know, hey, man, we're just going to go out there and try and bon- Broncos country ride. Let's go. Like, like yeah, it's, it's, a cor- it's a bit corny, and I can understand being his teammate, having to listen to that every single day can be a bit tiresome. can definitely be a bit tiresome. So, I mean, again, over the hill, no, but tiresome, yeah, and... He really, it's just a matter of how much his teammates are willing to put up with it as far as how tiresome he is. Because if Russell Wilson for the next couple of weeks just starts throwing touchdowns and and becoming the Russell Wilson we all know he can be and is, then it doesn't matter because the team's going to be winning and he's going to be playing well. So they're not going to really care. And and neither are the fans, to be honest with you. And now this brings up another point that we touched on earlier, but I do want to dive deeper into, and that is the Nathaniel Hackett aspect of this. So Nathaniel Hackett and the Denver Broncos, off to a 2-3 and three start, by the way, uh, had, a, had an arrangement when Nathaniel Hackett came there that almost seemed to mirror the... It was almost like it, this hire really reminds me a lot of Joe Philbin from the Green Bay Packers in like 2011, I believe, going over to the Miami Dolphins. Now, if you guys don't remember, Joe Philbin was the offensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers for many years. He was, I believe, Aaron Rodgers' first offensive coordinator. And many people attributed the early success that Aaron Rodgers had to Joe Philbin. And what happens to Philbin when he goes over to Miami? They don't do well. And and it just, everything seems a little off. It, it's almost like 
Joe Philbin wasn't meant to be a head coach. And it, the Nathaniel Hackett aspect of this, just because you're a good coordinator doesn't mean you're a good head coach. It's as simple as that. Not all great coordinators are, are going to be great head coaches. Ask Joe Philbin, another Aaron Rodgers offensive coordinator who, who, who fizzled out as a head coach. Ask one of Peyton Manning's former offensive coordinators and Adam Gase how that went. Right now, Nathaniel Hackett looks lost as a head coach. The decision-making sometimes is baffling. The the timeouts, I believe it was week one in that Monday Night Football game. The Seahawks had won the game. There was, they were, there was no mathematical way outside of a turnover for the Broncos to win that game. Philbin only had two times, or sorry, Nathaniel Hackett, Freudian slip, only had two timeouts with like less than 40 seconds remaining. So it was almost like, what are you doing? Nevertheless, he decided, let me take these timeouts. Let me use up my timeouts. That's not a sign of a, of a, of a good head coach. It's a sign of someone, it's just a sign of a troll, honestly, and a sign of a guy who wants to pretend like he's a head coach. That's a very imposture attitude right there because any any good head coach knows the game is over at that point. You're mathematically eliminated from winning this game. You you just had your last hurrah with kicking a 60-plus yard field goal, and it, it wasn't good. Sometimes you just got to know when to just, okay, admit defeat. And it's not about giving up because the game is over. It's not about giving up. The game is over. And then you talk about some of the offensive play call he's done, the formations, that fourth and one call of having Russell Wilson come out of the gun when it was a pretty short fourth and one against the Indianapolis Colts. They probably could have just done either a quarterback sneak, maybe a run with Melvin Gordon. You got Melvin Gordon on your team. But no, instead, he decides to do what he did. Takes Took a timeout before that even. Didn't, didn't decide to go for the, the field goal. Now, I'm a masochist, so I wanted to tie in that game, so... I'm guilty of, of of a little bias there, but it's it, it just does not seem to be working. The decision making, the play calling, the 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 lack of confidence that even the Broncos have in this guy, in that they had to bring in former former Baltimore Ravens assistant head coach Jerry Rossberg on on as a as a consultant as a time management consultant, as a fourth down consultant, whatever he is right now, it's not helping. I love Jerry to death. He, he was great in Baltimore as the special teams coordinator for years. But, my G, it's not going to fix the problems that this coach has. And as far as what do I think, right? Again, again, we're five weeks in. I don't like to be alarmist necessarily. But what I will say is, Things look with, with Nathaniel Hackett to be fizzling out very quickly. This is a Broncos team that, say what you want about Vic Fangio. Vic Fangio, in my opinion, was not a good head coach. But this is a Broncos team that looked more inspired last year than they do right now. It's lethargic when they go out in the field right now. It's lethargic. They look lethargic. They don't look like they care. They're kind of lazily going through things, and that can be a sign. That's a sign that the coach doesn't have the the respect of the locker room. And for, for that to happen five weeks in is a problem, a massive problem for this team. And this is not me saying that he's an Urban Meyer, right, that he's going to be fired in the middle of the season, they should do it. 
No, this is not me saying that at all. This is me saying that I don't think Nathaniel Hackett long-term will work out as the Broncos head coach, especially, especially if he doesn't change the way he's coaching this team and just get a grip. You're not playing head coach. You are the head coach. Understand your situations. Understand what it takes. And if you don't, if you genuinely don't, you probably should not be a head coach. And that's the issue that I have with organizations. That's the issue I have with these general managers and team presidents who make these decisions. A lot of times they automatically think that success elsewhere or success in, in another capacity is going to lead to success on the field. Sometimes it's true, right? You've had great coaches come out of, of, of being coordinators, obviously. They, they, where, where are they going to start, right? But to treat every great coordinator, every coordinator who has a good season as if they're, they're up there as a great head coaching candidate, I don't know. Like Nathaniel Hackett, respectfully, wasn't exactly a guy who players on the Packers were saying, oh, that guy's going to be a head coach one day. Nathaniel Hackett, he's not like Eric Bieniemy, who you ask any player on the Chiefs, they're like, hell yeah, he's going to be a head coach one day. Because he commands respect. Because people like him. Because people are genuinely confident that he can do the job. And people that he works with every day are genuinely confident about that. So, again, there's a lot of time to, to fix these things. Or there is time to fix these things. But you can't fix utter incompetence. That's one thing you can't do. And the Broncos are in trouble if Nathaniel Hackett doesn't figure it out. That's the real take truth, people. Like, that is the real take truth. Take it to the bank. Put that money in it. You already know. But at a certain point, I mean, it's going to, he's going to last the season, by the way. I know a lot of people might be wondering, oh, Nathaniel Hackett, well, if he's that bad, maybe they should just fire him now. Uh, you don't fire him now because at that point, you're giving up on the season five weeks in. You wait until the season's over. And, or, I don't even know, I, you just got Russell Wilson, so it's like not even like you can bring in a, another free agent and try to, try to change things, try to, try to let a spark. No. You, you brought in the big free agent, Russell Wilson, it's not working out, and you gotta get a guy who, who can better, who's better equipped to handle being a head coach. Maybe, and who knows, maybe it is Eric Bieniemy. Maybe it, it it's gonna end up being... Eric Bieniemy, because I know people out there want to make their little trolley uh, comments out there to Eric Bieniemy. He's he's just a people just like Eric Bieniemy because Patrick Mahomes is blah blah blah. No, I mean it's it's more than that. It's the fact that he has the endorsement of nearly every player and coach that's that's been with him. That people speak so highly of him. The people respect him to that level. Not a lot of guys carry that respect. You want to talk about why Eric Bannemi is not a head coach? That's a conversation for another day. But, but, and and we'll, I'm more than willing to have that conversation. But it, 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 there, there's a lot of elements to it that aren't just aren't right. But moving on to a different type of football, we're going to be talking about a little foot. Ball as it is. Uh, with the World Cup coming up, I thought it was appropriate for us to get in and talk some cup talk. Real take cup talk, baby. Who would have thought? Uh, and I want to talk about 
something that is probably one of the biggest stories this week, uh, go, or one of the biggest stories going into the World Cup, definitely. This World Cup is looking to be the last for many great players, including Lionel Messi, including uh, potentially Neymar and uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, all who could be competing in their final World Cup. But international football star Lionel Messi recently announced that the 2022 World Cup will be his final he said in an interview with ESPN the following, quote, Surely this will be my final World Cup, Messi said with an interview. I'm counting down the days until the World Cup. Truth is, there's a lot, there's a little anxiety saying, well, we're here. What's going to happen? It's my last one. How's it going to go? On one hand, I can't wait for it to arrive, but I'm also desperate for it to go well, as are many people out there and many fans of Argentina. So, Lionel Messi just announced that this is going to be his final World Cup. The 35-year-old Argentinian star played is going to play in his fifth World Cup, and he's still seeking his first title in this tournament. He has admitted that before that this that his or he admit he has admitted in the past that the world that the 2020 or the 2018 World Cup, I should say, could have been his last, but he's coming back in 2022 and Argentina right now, by the way, is riding a really nice hot streak. They're coming off of 35 consecutive wins. They're riding a 2020, 2021 Copa America championship, beating Brazil in the final. And they're hungry. And you could tell last time around, uh, for the last 10, almost 10 years, they've been hungry because the 2014 World Cup, Lionel Messi was the best player. He literally got the best player award for the 2014 World Cup nearly single-handedly brought his team to the final and had that big loss to Germany. Uh, the, the picture of him holding his trophy while you have, while you have um, the, the, the German national team and everybody else celebrating the World Cup is, is something that I'm not going to forget that I know a lot of, of, of soccer and football fans are not going to forget. But most of all, it's something that Messi's not going to forget. I think Messi's driven more so than he has been in years because he's 35 years old. By the time the next World Cup comes around, he's going to be 39. Is it possible for him to play? Sure. But this is likely Lionel Messi's final World Cup in his prime. And there's a lot riding on this. Not only has Argentina not had a World Cup victory since 1986, but this is going to be the first World Cup uh, without the late Argentinian great uh, Diego Maradona, who passed away in 2020 from complications of cardiac arrest. Like, you know that there's a part of, there's a large part of, of Messi, there's a large part of everyone on that Argenti Argentina team that wants to win this, that wants to win this for Diego, that wants to go out there and restore the glory of Argentina uh, on, on the World Cup stage, on the national stage. Because we always talk about how Argentina is a, a competitor, how they're a they they're they're a contender for a World Cup every single year, and that has to do with the amount of great talent that comes in from Argentina. That has to do with the culture, the 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 football culture in Argentina, and how deep it runs, and how and how willing these players are to sacrifice so much, and 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 come from humble beginnings, many of them. And, and sacrifice so much for such a long time to, to make it to that stage and, and work their asses off.
to make sure that their team is of is one of the best in the world. And you can say that about a lot of countries, but Argentina, there's something special, man. There's something special. And one of the most special things Argentina has ever produced is a Lionel Messi. This dude has gone, he spent nearly his entire life playing for Real Madrid. This dude goes to PSG. He, he, he goes to PSG and, he, and people are wondering, oh, well, okay, he's made this change after such a long time with one team. What's going to happen? And he goes to PSG and he's the same guy. It's, he's like, I'm messy. This is what I do. I'm great. And you saw in the 2018 World Cup that there was so much frustration in that 2018 World Cup run for the for the uh, Argentinian national team. And it wasn't just Messi. It was a lot of people. that You could see the frustration because whatever, for whatever reason, something wasn't going right. And, you know, they had a bit of a struggle beforehand, before the World Cup actually started that year. But now they go into it. Again, 35 consecutive wins. They're, they're defending uh, Copa America champions. Like, it just seems like this team right now is built to win this tournament. And it might be hyperbole on my part because I'm the biggest Messi fan in the world. But if Lionel Messi wins this World Cup, and if Lionel Messi goes out there and is the best player in this World Cup, he's goaded. Greatest player of all time. Because his skill is second to none. Especially when you consider his small stature. Especially when you consider just how good he is. Like this is, if we're talking about pure skill, there might not be a better player than Messi ever. But if we're talking about greatness. This one World Cup run would mean so much. I, I don't think there's another player who this World Cup run would mean more to than Lionel Messi. So... World Cup's right around the corner. Real Take Cup Talk, by the way, coming to you live uh, starting November 20th. Uh, we got Noah in the chats, or sorry, Noah in the chat saying, this is the last we'll ever see the GOAT Messi one last time in the World Cup. Absolutely one last time in the World Cup. Although, he has said it before, so take it with a pinch, a grain, a granite of salt, if you will. But the, the prevailing sentiment is that this is definitely going to be Messi's final World Cup in his prime. Uh, I think that much we can all uh, agree on and bet on. But we'll see what happens. I'm excited, man. November 20th, by the way, Real Take Cup Talk coming to you live. We're going to be covering the World Cup. And it's going to be a lot of fun starting November. Weird time to have the World Cup in November, but here we are. Moving on to less, uh, less upbeat news. We're going to talk about what the hell is going on in Golden State. There's a lot of what the hell is going on right now in sports. And I, I think the Golden State Warriors saga story kind of takes the cake. Because we this isn't something that we expect from this team. The this the drama isn't necessarily something that, that the Warriors have been known for throughout their run. So th this is just... It's, it's surprising on one hand, but it also kind of shows you the... Things you don't necessarily get to see, and, and some of the, I, I guess we can assume some of the disagreements that you don't get that you don't really get to see on these teams because we really only see them when they're out there on the court or on the field, right? So we'll talk about that. Um, but 
it's I don't know. It, it's a tough subject to talk about this. It, I mean, it wasn't really much of a fight. We'll get to the video in just a second, but uh, let's get into it. So Draymond Green's future with the Golden State Warriors is facing doubt after he punched teammate Jordan Poole in practice. The video was released earlier this week, and boy, oh boy, was it a doozy. Let's cut to the video real quick. In the video, this is by TMZ Sports, by the way. You can see they're kind of jawjacking with each other a little bit. And eventually, Draymond Green goes up to Jordan Poole, and Jordan Poole takes exception to it, pushes him, and Draymond Green just punches him smack right in the middle of the face. So Draymond Green, of course, was reprimanded apparently internally. They're still investigating what exactly went on here and how this happened. There also there are also talks that he might be that things might be over between him and Golden State. There are other ramifications of this as well because now the Golden State Warriors have launched a full-scale investigation into how this video got out and leaked because as you can tell from or if you're watching this or if you've seen the video, you can tell that that video is very grainy. It almost looks like somebody took a took a video from their phone of a video on a screen. So that's the that's the likeliest scenario of how this got leaked. But the drama for the defending champions is not a good sign because this is a team that went into last year with almost hanging a banner of cohesion. Like, like this is a team that was just, from the beginning, especially when Klay Thompson came back, every, it's like one of those things. Everyone kind of knew that the Warriors gonna, were going to be the NBA champions. There were a lot of people who didn't want to admit it, but everyone kind of knew that they were going to be the champions. Because of just how well they were playing. And it didn't really matter who was out. If they had Steph and, and Clay and Draymond, they, they, they were going to win. The chemistry was off the charts. Steve Kerr, in my opinion, did his best job coaching last year. Uh, it, he arguably also had his best team coaching. But it's it, it's it's troubling. It's, it's definitely troubling to see someone get punched with that much force. In, in a team practice, right, when you're Jordan Poole. And again, we don't know what Jordan Poole necessarily said. We don't know what Draymond Green necessarily said. All we know is that they were jawjacking. Draymond Green came up to him. Jordan Poole did not like Draymond Green being in his face, so he pushed him, and Draymond punched him. And here's what I will say. There's, there's little, honestly, there's very little to defend Draymond Green in this. We don't know that if something was done to Draymond Green personally, we don't know whether or not there was a threat necessarily made by Jordan Poole, a serious threat made by Jordan Poole. But what we do know is that Draymond Green punched the ever-living crap out of Jordan Poole in that video. And after Jordan Poole just kind of pushed him. And whether or not the the Warriors internal investigation find something. This is definitely something that's gonna take some working through for the Warriors to actually to actually fix. Because it's easy to say, like it's easy when you have a situation, right, where players get into in basketball, players get into, you know, maybe a little scuffle, right? Scuffle is different, right? It, it, it's different when you have a player Players yelling at each other very intensely or or even like throwing water on each other or whatever, right? Th things like that. You can come back from that. 
when you when you punch someone in the face and and, and it looked like I don't know what Jordan Poole's if he sustained an injury after that. But when you punch someone in the face like that, it's hard. It, it, it's not impossible, but it is hard to come back from. It is hard to, to especially as soon as the season's about to roll around. We're already in the preseason. Like, regular season tips off in about a month. It's hard for, for, for you to kind of, you know, make water under, put water under the bridge at that point and, and, that, and that soon and just move on. You can, you absolutely can, and you know this is a team that has that is apparently very close. Steph Curry's talked about it. Steve Kerr's talked about it. Everyone talks about how close this team is, and and I, I, there was a few there were a few people who even said you know like sometimes brothers fight, sometimes brothers argue, sometimes brothers even hate each other. But it is it, it, it's it is troubling when you see that, and it, it could. This might be showing that there's there are there are other things there are other things going on to the in, inside the Golden State Warriors organization that we might not be privy to. And if if and I know there's talk about potentially this being Draymond Green's way of of getting out. You know, there are people who are saying Draymond Green might be leaving Golden State, right? Draymond Green is, this is his way of getting out. He's going to punch someone in the face. And he's so smart. This is such a smart move. He's going to punch someone in the face, and the Warriors are going to be forced to trade him. Okay. Let's pretend for a minute that Draymond Green is that stupid. That he is stupid enough to think that punching someone in the face will lead him to be traded to a better situation and a situation he wants to go to. Let's pretend that that's the case. What kind of empty-headed, dumb mother trucker believes that they can be traded for punching a teammate in the face at practice? And I'm not saying Draymond does. I only said that I, I, what I said was, um, let's pretend he's that stupid because I don't think Draymond Green is that stupid. I think Draymond Green, I think that was like a moment type of thing. It was a, it was a heat of the moment potentially type of thing. But anyone out there who's saying that Draymond Green, this was his way of getting traded. No, Draymond Green wants to get traded. He's got so many ways to express his frustration. So many outlets for that. He's got a podcast that he does, a great podcast that he does, by the way. Draymond Green does. He's got, he's got the keys to the king. He, he's one of, he's one of the, he is one of their big three. Draymond Green wants to go into Steve Kerr's office. He doesn't have to knock. Draymond Green wants to go to the owner's office. He doesn't have to knock. If Draymond Green wanted to be traded, we, we would have heard something about it by now. So for all these people who think that Draymond Green is out here playing three-dimensional chess, he's out here moving the chess pieces saying that by punching Jordan Poole, the Warriors will be forced to cut me or forced to release me or forced to trade me. And then I will have my pick of which team I go to. And then I shall be traded to a situation that I want. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then. It really sounds really stupid when you think about it, right? When, when I'm really talking this out and explaining this thought process, it's really stupid, right? Yet you have all these people on Twitter. 
You have all these 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 pundits on YouTube, like, as such as I am. These pundits on YouTube saying that that Draymond Green, this is genius. This is just his way of saying he wants to get out. Absolutely stupid, asinine, asinine conclusion to draw from this. What this was, in my opinion, two teammates who were two teammates getting into it. Things got really heated. Did Draymond Green overreact? Absolutely. You, you, you should not have punched Jordan Poole. Especially not like that. That was a I'm trying to knock you the F out type of punch. That wasn't, that wasn't, that wasn't no like, you know, like, oh, we're scrapping here. And oh, okay, whatever. Like, it wasn't that type of fight. This was that was an aggressive punch by Draymond Green. No, make no bones about it. And Draymond Green is, he's even said this before, you know, he's, he's an emotional guy. And th there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a matter of in those moments, you got to be able to handle yourself, handle your emotions. There's got to be some way for like the best case scenario for the Warriors here is there's got to be some way where you get Jordan Poole on, uh, to the table, you get Draymond Green to the table and they have to work this out. Outside of that happening, I mean, it's going to be difficult. I don't think they're going to trade Draymond Green. I don't think so. Unless there's like still a lot of animosity there. Unless Draymond Green is still making or, or someone's making threats to someone. I don't think anyone gets moved. But they got to work these. They got to work their, these problems out because Draymond Green is a big part of this team's uh, this team's present and and their immediate future. And Jordan Poole is their future. And I, and I'm not saying that there are a lot of people out there who want to say Jordan Poole is like the next Steph Curry. That Jordan Poole is this. He's that. He's Jordan Poole's a really good player with the potential to be great one day. But for the Warriors, this is a critical, critical juncture in their future because you can't lose Draymond. You can't lose Jordan Poole. You got to find a way to, to have these two make up. And, and, and honestly, and, and I'm not just saying make up for the sake of making up, but they got to genuinely come together and understand that, you know, what, what, what happened here wasn't okay. And Draymond's got to. Draymond definitely has to apologize and 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 show remorse because I, I hope he does. But we'll see what happens. I mean, it, it's going to be one of those interesting things to watch throughout the season if it doesn't get resolved in the next few weeks. It, it is going to be one of those interesting things to watch and see. You know, what exactly are the Warriors going to be, and and how is it going to affect them on the court? You know, so we'll see what happens there. Moving on, though, let's talk about the NFL, the NFLPA, and a topic that I'm sure everybody else in the world is very sick of at this point, concussions. Yeah, concussions are not a fun topic to talk about, yet we're here just about two weeks after the scary injury to attack of Iloa suffered in that Thursday night football game against the Bengals where he had to be stretchered off. He was taken to a trauma center. And he was found to be um, okay enough to fly with the team on the team plane. The NFLPA has agreed to amend concussion protocols to enhance player safety. The NFL, in turn, has responded by saying they agree to it. They agree to some of these changes, and they want to work towards enhancing player safety as well. So they seem to, seem to be on the same page here. But I think this. this well, I think we need to talk about what why this happened, what some of these changes might look like, and more precisely, 
how safe you can make the game of football because it's never going to be just, you know, it's never going to be rainbows and roses, right? This is not going to be a game where everyone's going to be fine and players aren't going to get hurt and players aren't going to feel it the next morning. It's always going to be that as long as it's actual football. Whether or not you can make some of the long-term cognitive impacts of the game better, I think there's definitely room for that. But at the end of the day, players are still going to get hurt. You can never take pain. You can never take injury. You can never take all those things out of the game. And that's not me saying that, oh, you can't take them out of the game. That's not me saying that. That's not me being, you know, one of those one of those people out there. Like, Back in my day, we didn't even wear helmets on the field. You know, we, we used to smoke cigarettes on the field. Now, what I'm saying is, at the end of the day, football is a contact combat game. People are literally literally throwing their bodies at each other. Right? At a certain point, injuries are going to happen. And it's just a part of the game. And the game is so big, watched by so many people, loved by so many people, that it's, it's almost, including myself, it's almost become a, an accepted kind of taboo. Right, or, or, or an accepted vice is, is probably a better word to use in this scenario. It's a, it's a bit of an accepted vice because we know that a lot of the impacts of the game are bad. But we still watch it every Sunday. Once on Monday, once on Thursday, sometimes on Saturday. And we still love it. But we also are aware of these problems that the game does have. And we're aware that, you know... It's not always good. Not always good for the players. Sometimes not always good for the fans. And this change in protocol is good because what happened to Tua Tagovailoa at the end of the day, like I think it's a good thing, but what happened to Tua Tagovailoa should never happen to any other player again. Because you saw when he went down on a Sunday, on a Sunday, Tua Tagovailoa, Gets hit. His head very obviously whiplashes off the playing surface. And he's wobbly. He it's, it's almost like he can't get up. They said it was a back injury. But anyone who saw that, anyone who's had a concussion before, you could probably tell that the way he went down, meh, didn't look like, didn't look like anyone I know who has a back injury. You have a back injury, you're going to be doing this. You're going to be doing a lot, of, a lot of holding that back, right? Yet, Tua, given all that, he, he passed their concussion protocol and he was able to play the next week. Or sorry, th- sorry, three days later. He was able to play like three days later in primetime football against the Bengals. And what happens? Middle of the second quarter, Tua drops back to pass. He gets brought down on a sack. His head whiplashes off of the, the, the logo at the 50-yard line. Like, I've never seen someone's head in football whiplash off of uh, the ground. And immediately, he goes into a fencing position. By the way, for those of you who don't know what a fencing position is, it's, it's a response the body has to great head trauma. Your, your fingers stiffen up. Your, your, your arms kind of go stiff and, and stick out like this. That's why he was doing this. It wasn't him... A lot of people out there making a lot of like a lot, a lot of memes of like Tua doing like gang signs or whatever on the on the board. Like that's not what that was, bro. It, it was he was out. Now anytime a player 
has their hands in a fencing position, their fingers are curled up, their hands are stiff, they're out. And he was stretchered off, taken to a trauma center, somehow able to fly back back on the on, on the plane on the plane for the on the team plane, I should say, home. It's it's paramount that if the NFL wants to talk about how it's all for player safety, right? Regardless of them adding another game, another regular season game, without having another bye week. And and like, they want to talk about getting serious about player safety. The bare minimum they can do is when a dude gets rocked in the head and is obviously not okay, don't let him back into the game. And I know they, they, the NFL wants to tout and the Miami Dolphins want to tout that, oh, well, we fired the team doctor who broke the protocol, blah, 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 blah. Don't make the doctor the scapegoat in all of this, right? Because there's a reason that the, the NFLPA had to update the protocol or, or had to call to update the protocol. Because it was bad enough that Tua Tagovailoa was able to go back to the game. It was bad enough that we, we had, we've had players talk about how, yeah, they've known, they've known they've had concussions in the middle of games before, but they just kept on playing. And players have actually ridiculed the NFL's concussion protocol before. So, again, I'm all for getting serious about player safety, and we should be getting serious about player safety. If a player has a concussion, they should not be allowed to go back into the game. And I'd argue they probably shouldn't be allowed to play football the next week. Because when you you see people like, like pro wrestlers who their job, and I know people want to ridicule pro wrestling, whatever, Pro wrestlers, their literal job is to throw themselves at the ground for a living. And whenever a pro wrestler gets a concussion, they're not out for just the one week. They're usually out for multiple weeks, sometimes even months, to allow their heads to recover. In football, we let them out like, oh, the next week, he's fine. Look at him. He's such a... He's, he's such a manly man. It's a joke. When the NFL says they want to get serious about player safety, it's a joke. The NFL PA, they might be a little more serious, but at the end of the day, they don't want the nobody wants key players to go out because it hurts everyone's bottom line. And that's not that's not a conspiracy theory. It's not me trying to say that huh, the NFL masterminded this so two attack by low could play on a Thursday night football game and blah blah blah. No, it's not what I'm saying. But for us to claim that there's no incentive for the NFL and the and 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 the owners and everyone else to have players play more often, even if it means they can suffer further head trauma, it's laughable. It's it's a business. It's a business at the end of the day. They don't really care about the play, the people as much as they care about the money. Am I, tell me when I'm telling lies, right? Tell, it's, it's one of those things. Tell me when I am telling lies because I don't think that I am in this scenario. But you guys can let me know by following us at Real Take Sports on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook, Real Take Sports Talk. YouTube.com forward slash Real Take Sports for all your sporting needs, as well as YouTube.com forward slash Real Take Wrestling for all your wrestling-related 
needs. As we move on, we're going to switch gears back to the National Basketball Association where there, we've, ha- we've heard, we've heard, we've heard talk about maybe, just maybe, a team coming to a place that you might not want it to come to, and we'll talk about why that is. Um, but, yeah, it's very well that we could see the an NBA team either moving or being uh, located elsewhere. Let's see. Do, 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 do. I was sure I had that. Eh, guess I didn't. Guess we don't have the bottom banner for that. We'll fix that in post, though. It's okay. Yeah, don't worry, don't worry, people listening to this. That meant nothing to you. Anyway, um, it'd be like that. Anyway, guys, uh, let's switch gears to the NBA and talk about Las Vegas potentially getting an NFL team or an NBA team. They already have an NFL team, although it depends who you ask. But Las Vegas might be getting an NBA team. After wowing the crowd at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas with 23 points in 17 minutes, all-star, superstar, part-time NBA, a part part NBA owner, basically, LeBron James, uh, stated that he would love to see a team in Las Vegas at some point. LeBron, after the game, said the following, quote, I would love to bring a team here at some point. That would be amazing. I know Adam, talking about Adam Silver, is in Abu Dhabi right now, I believe. Uh, but he probably sees every single interview and transcript that comes through from NBA players. So I want a team here, Adam. Thank you. So interesting comments from King James, LeBron James, making these comments about a team coming to Vegas, potentially, or him wanting to bring a team to Vegas. And it is an interesting proposition because Las Vegas is a good market for sports right now. They brought they brought over the Raiders. They've they're bringing over multiple UFC shows. They're, they're a hub of UFC. They're now becoming a hub of professional wrestling. You have AEW running shows at the T-Mobile Arena. You have WWE running shows at uh, at at the the Raiders Stadium. And at a certain point, I mean, you have an NHL team there. At a certain point, the NBA is going to get in on the action. Whether or not, though, they should be the first team to get in, and and Las Vegas should be getting a team before a city like Seattle that has waited, that has begged, that has... There's no no argument to be made of, we need to test the market viability of Seattle. The market's already tested. They want a basketball team. They deserve a basketball team. That, that, That city has been waiting for the return of the Supersonics ever since they left. So... In my mind, wouldn't it be a good thing to see a, a, a or a NBA team in Vegas? Sure, absolutely. And with the T-Mobile, the new T-Mobile Arena, they definitely have an up-to-date facility that can showcase the NBA. That's in a great arena. From everything that I've heard, I've had multiple friends go there. That have had uh, co-workers and and other people in the YouTube space go there and tell me it's just an amazing arena for. Uh, for for entertainment, sports, whatever you want to call it, just because there's no bad seat in the house, so it, it's a great arena. They've got they've got that already built. They don't have to worry about that. The market viability is there. There are going to be fans there, but they should not be the first team to get 
or, or the first city, I should say, to get a new team. It should 100% be Seattle. Every NBA fan is going to agree with me. Would it be more lucrative for Las Vegas to get a team before Seattle? Probably. And at the end of the day, I think that's going to be taking into a higher account than whether or not Seattle wants a team or, or, or the fans. I mean, fans everywhere want Seattle to have a team. That's the wild thing about all this, right? Fans everywhere. Like, from here to there to, to all over the country want Seattle to get a basketball team. But, and even fans who are going to be rooting against the Supersonics whenever they do decide to return, they want the Supersonics to return. So I, I agree with Vegas getting a team. I agree with the viability being there. I agree with that that arena is, is awesome. But let's hold our horses there. Sure, put it on the list. You, it can be second. It can be third, whatever. It, it can be top five on our list here. But number one priority as far as expansion teams or, or moving teams or whatever, got to be Seattle. Got to be. That city has waited too long. Those fans are hungry. They're still buying Seattle merch. The, like the, that logo and those jerseys coming back. Come on, come on now, come on now, Adam. Come on now, Adam. Come on. It's just. I mean, look. You want to say like you know? Oh, it, it's just common sense. Like look, look, the the city of Seattle has been waiting for a very long time. To have their team, let's not hold. Let's not hold their horses. Let's just give it to them. Speaking of horses, guys, we're gonna be talking about an NFL team that is very closely related, tied, and has a lot to do with horses. We're gonna be talking about the Indianapolis Colts. Oop. Uh, in just a little bit, because they're another team, much like the Denver Broncos. The Indianapolis Colts had a lot of hoopla about them coming into the twenty twenty. To NFL season, yet we're sitting here and we're still waiting to see all of this hoopla, all of this potential materialize. And many Colts fans are annoyed. Many other fans as well are, are pretty annoyed at almost the the lack of like I, I want to say the lack of like preparation, but it's really not that. But just. The product on the field, much like the Denver Broncos, like there are a lot of parallels you can draw between the Indianapolis Colts and the Denver Broncos coming out of that Thursday night football game. And one of them is that both of those offenses just look like trash right now. They look like utter garbage, as 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 one one could say. Um, but it, it, I don't know. I don't know what's going to end up happening with that team. I mean, we, we, we can actually talk about it real quick uh, if, if we want to. But, yeah, I got, yeah, yeah, you know what? Let's talk about it. Um, Yes, we're going to talk about it. What's wrong with the Indianapolis Colts? What is wrong with the Indianapolis Colts? They're off to a 2-2-1 two, two start, if you can believe it. Almost, almost, if the Denver Broncos had kicked that field goal uh, towards the end of overtime, Colts could have been 2-2-2, two, two, and two, which would have been... Or, or, or sorry, they could have been one, two, and two, which I, I think that would have been an amazing stat line had they gone in. If they go into week six and win, like they could actually be two, two, and two. Like, that's great. That's great. What's not great though is the way that Matt right, Ryan is playing. Matty Ice right now is stinking up the joint with his 
Matt Ryan right now is thinking up the joint with his five touchdowns, seven interceptions, completing about 65% of his passes. So I guess he's playing a little better than uh, Russell Wilson, but it ain't that much better. And the Colts right, are, are, again, very similar to the Broncos in that they were a team that people expected to be there competing for the playoffs because when they had a guy like Phillip Rivers, they were in the play. They weren't only in the playoff hunt. They were in the playoffs. They were, this was a 10-win team. And last year, right up till the end, they had a chance to get in into the playoffs before losing to Jacksonville in Jacksonville. And week one, we saw the exact same thing happen there. So there's there are expectations for this team. And for them to be getting off to a, a pretty lukewarm start, um, granted, they're, they're at 500. And, and I believe... I believe they're actually number one in the division right now. Um, again, this is pending whatever happens in week five of the rest of the games. But they, but like, they're not a good team. Like Right now, at least they're not playing like it. The defense, I think, is actually fine. It's the offense that greatly worries me. And most notably, it's Matt Ryan. And I think this. The argument of whether or not Matt Ryan is over the hill is much more believable to me than the Russell Wilson argument because the Matt Ryan argument is based in a few things. It's based in the fact that his teams haven't really been performing well for the past number of years. It's based in the fact that Matt Ryan right now it has more interceptions than touchdowns. It's based in the fact that Matt Ryan, I believe, is 38 years old. He's not a spring chicken anymore. We're a long, long, long way away from 2008. So... There's that. It's Matt Ryan. He's got all the instinct in the world. I just don't know whether or not he his 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 play on the field is going to be up to that. Like last year, he had one of his actually he had one of his worst years in a long time. Like last year, yeah, it was twenty touchdowns, only twelve interceptions. Which look look, it's not accustomed to what we're seeing out of Matt to what we want to see out of Matt Ryan, right? Because Matt Ryan, for a lot of his career, has been a very good quarterback. He, one year in 2016, he won the MVP, and that was the year that 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 was the year everyone thought that was the Falcons' year. Matt Ryan wins the MVP. They were up 28 to three in that Super Bowl before Tom Brady had the greatest comeback in NFL history. And ever since then, things have not gone well for the Falcons. Things didn't go well for the Falcons. Things didn't go well for Matt Ryan. And. If this the start of this season is any indication, this could be the actual end of his career. That's not me saying that he can't bounce back. He's Matt freaking Ryan. He's been playing this game for over... How long has it been Matt Ryan's been playing this damn game? 2008. So he's been playing for like nearly 14 seasons. It's not over right now, but he's got to play better or, or else it might be. And as far as the Colts, right? I do want to talk about this. The Indianapolis Colts have a have have a serious problem, right? It, it's the Indianapolis Colts from the quarterback at the quarterback position have never recovered from Andrew Luck retiring. It's a cold hard fact. They just have not recovered. Andrew Luck retires in twenty or at the beginning of the twenty nineteen season. They have to go with Jacoby Brissett. Jacoby does his thing, which is fine. But he's a backup for a reason, right? And then we get the carousel, the, the, the carousel, which, by the way, the Los, or Los Angeles Chargers, you know, they, they, they metaphored very greatly in that, in that um, 
in their opening, their season, their schedule release video. That was great. But they've had a serious problem since Andrew Luck retired. They get the Jacoby Brissett experience was what it was. The Phillip Rivers experience lasted as long as it did. And then he retired. So they were forced to go and find another guy. And the other guy that they found was Carson Wentz, who was coming off of being basically booted out of Philadelphia for being outplayed by Jalen Hurts and 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 the team essentially uh, reportedly I should say turning on him. So and the Carson Wentz experience lasted 1 year. It apparently left a bad taste in both the mouth of Carson Wentz and that of uh Chris Ballard the GM. So he's gone. They bring in Matt Ryan now. It's like band-aid after band-aid after band-aid. That's all this team is doing because the Colts have had the luxury of having a good enough team to mask a lot of the other problems, to mask the quarterback problems they have and, and some of the other problems. They, but defensively, it's a great team. for, And it still is, in my opinion, it's a really good team defensively. Their offensive line, uh, oddly enough, from, from 2018, 2018 was Andrew Luck's last year, and that was the best offensive line that that team ever had. For Andrew Luck especially. Like, they, Andrew Luck before that was running around for his life. And now, we're seeing that that offensive line that was great all the years that Andrew Luck was gone, basically, is now kind of folding and reverting back to not being one of the best in the business. And what we've seen from 2019 to now 2022 is... We've seen a team in the Colts that's just been, just felt like if they they can get one of some, they can put someone else's leftovers on a plate and then serve it out and expect, you know, a Michelin star, expect uh, a, a great cr uh, critique from a food critic, right? It ain't that easy. It's not that easy to just put a Band-Aid at your most important position because what it does is, at least the things like that happened last year when you needed that guy to make the big play and you need that guy to show up week 17 and, and not miss, he he fumbled the bag. At least the things like we're seeing now, which is inconsistency from an older quarterback. The Phillip Rivers thing, I understood. The Carson Wentz thing, I understood less considering what you gave up. You could have very, you could have very much traded up for a younger quarterback. In that 2020, uh, 2021 NFL draft. There were so many good quarterbacks in that draft. You definitely could have traded up. Instead, Colts decided to take someone else's leftovers. Take a handout from a team that did not want Carson Wentz. And, they, and then and now, and now we're seeing exactly what that leads to. What that kind of mentality of, of we don't need to invest in the future when we have this team now. Because... Here's the thing, man. There's a reason you want to get a young quarterback in there and have him play with a good team for a couple of years, even if he's not ready immediately. You want you want him to be the guy you lean on three, four years out when the rest of your team maybe takes a step back and some of those other players get older. But instead, as those players have gotten older, so has their quarterback. Like, it is, it's just... Like, and this is no disrespect to Matt Ryan. I think Matt Ryan... Has been a great quarterback for the vast majority of his career, and he's going to be remembered as one of the better ones of this generation. But come on, 
Come on. They, like at, at a certain point, Frank Reich, I love him. I think he, for a very long time, was one of the most underrated coaches in the NFL. I think Chris Ballard was a very, he's a very underrated and a good GM. But at a certain point, you have to invest in a young quarterback to have a sustainable, to have, to be, to have your competitiveness and, and to compete at a sustainable rate. Otherwise, you're just going to be a team that is good enough to compete for the playoffs, but is going to be held back by limitations from your quarterback. It's why it's the most important position on the field in the game every Sunday. So that's my Colts rant. Um, but but it is true. It is true. You have to have that guy. You have to have a guy who is 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 willing to not only or not willing to, who has the ability to to just make up for where your team is lacking. That's just what you have to have. Um, let's see, what else do we want to talk about today? Um Ooh, we have the MLB playoffs getting off to a start this week. Um, they already did get off to the start where, by the way, big shout out to uh, to the Padres for, for doing doing the Lord's work. The, the God bless the Padres. That's all I want to say right now. God bless the Padres for what they did, man. I mean, MLB playoffs, man. It was crazy. I, anytime, like... I've heard so much talk from Mets fans, right? So much talk from Mets fans. We're going to do well. The Mets, this is the Mets year. The the Mets for the first time since the 80s. We're going to be relevant. We got Scherzer. We got Lindor. We We got DeGrom. And you know what else you got? Big fat L in game one of the playoffs against the Padres. So, I mean, look. As someone who has watched Max Scherzer... By the way, former Nat, or sorry, Nats fan, Max Scherzer, a former national. I love him to death. He he helped us win that title. One of the greatest, uh, the greatest run any team's ever gone on. But man, to to do it, what he did, that was special. <laughs> That's special in the playoffs, man. To do what Max Scherzer did, that was special. Four count them, four runs. Losing 7-1 at home in the wild card. Everyone thinks like, oh my God, this is... It's very well possible that the Mets are going to lose. That they are going to lose this next game and be eliminated from the playoffs. Tell me it's not possible. Don't tell me it's not possible. Don't tell me it's not possible because it very well is. Because the Padres are a team that... They got the best hitter in baseball in my okay, the second best hitter in baseball over the next like ten years. Because I mean I mean Aaron Judge, I'm not gonna deny his greatness right now. Aaron Judge is playing off the charts. He's he's the best. But Juan Soto. <laughs> Juan Soto, definitely in the conversation for the best, in my opinion. I think he's second. But it it's it, it's absolutely crazy, man. It's absolutely crazy to see a team that uh that everyone's talking about. The Mets fans were all talking about how great the Mets are going to be. This is our year, baby. Go Mets. Go Mets. Go Mets. To the locker room. Go Mets to the showers. Go Mets back home to New York. Oh, man. 
but it is what it is. I don't know. I, just, I didn't really want to talk about it. We'll talk about the playoffs a little bit more uh, later on um, as more things develop. When the Mets lose, I will definitely come out with a video about that and, and, and a podcast about that. But, but last things last, we got to get to Snowflake of the Week. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. That graphic might be wrong, but it's okay. Well, <laughs> if you're again, if you're listening to this, you have no idea what's happening. But last last thing on the schedule, I do want to talk about our snowflake of the week. Snowflake of the week goes to wait for it. Wait for it. I'm going to make y'all wait a little bit longer because we're going to redo that whole thing. Anyway, um, snowflake of the week, a.k.a. the Aaron Rodgers Memorial Award is awarded to the person or people who just grind my gears and show off their utter snowflakery in the worst or best possible way over the past week. And honestly, over the past few weeks, these people have really earned this award. So without further ado, your snowflake of the week goes to the fans of the NBA for their outrage for their sentiment, for their unmitigated, for the unmitigated mess they call logic in this in this whole thing, where they have called out Malika Andrews for calling the person in this whole Ime Yudoka mess and scandal a victim. If you're out there, right, if you're out there and you have chastise Malika Andrews for calling out Stephen A. Smith. If you're out there and you've said that, oh, Malika Andrews makes me angry, I'm going to type on Twitter. If you're one of those people, congratulations, you just want a real takeaway because you're Snowflake of the Week. Because Malik, what Malik, here's the thing. Everyone's so upset about what Malika Andrews did, right? Everyone's so upset. They're, they're feigning. They're feigning ups, uh, being a disappointment at Malika Andrews. And it's because why? Because she said that maybe, just maybe, we shouldn't, we should wait for more facts to come out before we say whether or not this was a consensual relationship and maybe we shouldn't just take the Celtics' word for it. Or maybe because now we're seeing reports come out that Ime Yudoka may have made unwanted advances at people within the Celtics organization. But no, 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 no. Malika Andrews is still wrong. For calling out Stephen A. Smith, because what Stephen A. Smith says all the time is gospel, isn't it? It's gospel. The idea, because let me be clear, the idea that a person who is amongst the most powerful people in a multi-million dollar business, like Ime Yadoka, having a relationship with a, a staffer who works directly under it. The notion that we shouldn't look at that with scrutiny and look out for the best interest of the person who is who is at the lower end of the power dynamic in that situation is a joke. All these people, right, who want to talk about, oh my God, well, well, Ime Yudoka is the real victim. Give me a break. Give me a break. At best case scenario, Ime Yudoka is responsible 
for crossing severe ethical lines, workplace misconduct, all that stuff. That's the best case scenario. Worst case scenario, Ime Yadoka. Again, if true, worst case scenario, Ime Yadoka made unwanted advances at an employee and coerced them into a relationship. Which, if you chastise Vince McMahon for it, you better chastise Ime Yadoka for it, and you better stop calling out Malika Andrews because she wants to set the record straight and say that there's a way you talk about these things, that there's a way you, you're supposed to try to protect potential victims and calling out the Celtics for, for, for not doing so, for, for being stupid, and, 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 and all these reports that came out that there was a female staffer who was working directly under Ime Yadoka, who, who, who was the other person in this, in this scandal. For, 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 like, in what world, honestly, in what freaking world? And you guys want to, in the comment section of this video, you guys want to make your comments, oh, I'm ready, let's go, let's go, I'm ready to fight off all you little snowflakes. Because, because here's the thing, right? I didn't think that it was, I, I genuinely did not think that this would create such a firestorm online as it did. Because what Malika Andrews was doing wasn't that bad. She disagreed with the way her colleague went about himself on national television and then spoke to said colleague about that. And I'm hearing all these things like Malika Andrews, what a Karen. I'm hearing all these things, Malika Andrews. Uh, it's one thing if you disagree with her. But it's another thing, man, if you're out here like making these clickbaity ass videos about how oh Malika Andrews is such a blah 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 because you can't get over your own insecurities because you're a little snowflake. You're out here being like, oh, I care so much about the NBA and he made your dog. I was there. He did nothing wrong. Blah, blah, blah. And Malika Andrews, Stephen, I spent did nothing wrong too. So I'm going to type on my keyboard and I'm going to write 280 characters about why uh, Malika Andrews is, uh, is part of a liberal propaganda scheme against us. Come on. Come on, bro. It wasn't that bad. Y'all capping. You're taking it too seriously. So let's chill out. It's okay. She, she's, she's one of the best hosts that ESPN has had in a while. She conducts herself in a very professional way. So don't come at her professionally and say, because, the, and here's the thing, right? I, I didn't want to bring this up because I don't want to add fuel to this fire. But there are a lot of people out there who this week, sudden, or the past few weeks because of this, have suddenly claimed the only reason Malika Andrews is there is because, A, she's a woman, and B, because she's black. Do you even watch the show, my G? Anyone with a brain who watches that show knows that that's not why Malika Andrews is on the, is on your screen. That 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 that's not why that that's not why all this is happening. That's not why she's that's not why she's hosting NBA Countdown. Why she's hosting the Jump? Why she's hosting all these things? No, she's hosting that show. She's hosting these programs because she's actually good at them. But again. Snowflake's gonna snowflake. But congratulations on your snowflakery because it won you the Aaron Rodgers Memorial Lifetime Achievement Award Snowflake of the Week.
Enjoy snowflakes. Anyway, guys, that's going to just about do it for us. Uh, I've enjoyed this. Real Take Sports Talk is back better than ever. We're going to try a few things out. Again, you guys can check us out live at youtube.com forward slash Real Take Sports for if you guys are listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcast, you guys can catch us live right here, youtube.com forward slash Real Take Sports. You guys can check out our streams on YouTube as well. We do watch long streams of a few NFL games per week. We also do streams of WWE pay-per-views on youtube.com forward slash Real Take Wrestling for all your wrestling-related needs. And... All that jazz. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Real Take Sports, YouTube, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Real Take Sports Talk, anchor.fm forward slash Real Take Sports Talk. Until next time, everyone, be happy, be healthy, and keep it real.